I'm Marissa Donnelly, host of the Vulnerability Podcast, a podcast series focused on being vulnerable, being emotional, being deep, and talking about topics that people often shy away from. In this podcast series, you'll see stories of faith, hope, inspiration, darkness, frustration, and everything that really challenges us to speak to our human experience and to do so in shedding our skins and being vulnerable. Welcome to this episode of the Vulnerability Podcast. I'm Marissa Donnelly, and today I have Franco Zavala, who coins himself the professional stepdad. I'm so excited to have Franco here to talk about parenting and what it means to kind of step in as a stepdad or a bonus parent and um, really call a family your own. So thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate you know you taking the time to hear my story and for us to chat. I'm excited to do it. Awesome. Well, why don't we just start out with a little bit of your background? How did you become a stepdad? Um, well, it's a great question. So um, my, my, uh, my background goes from leaving high school and, and becoming, um, joining the United States Army, where I lived on the East Coast for about 13, 14 years of my life before I decided to move back um, to where I live currently, which is Arizona. Um, I've, had, uh, I've gone through a lot of different ups and downs. Um, as far as um, my life has gone, going to overseas and going to the Iraqi war to to getting out and, and starting a few businesses that didn't work. But what brought me back to Arizona was awesome um, because I kind of needed to get back here. And, um, and when I did, I ended up reconnecting with uh, a, <laughs> a preschool friend, if you want to like kindergarten preschool friend of mine. Her name was Jenea. Um, after 13 years, I hadn't seen her since, you know, since high school. Wow, yeah. Um, so, but we reconnected like everybody does on Facebook and I landed back here in Arizona and I was going to try to become an actor because I loved it so much. And, um, and about, let's call it six months into my return back here to Arizona, I find out that my, uh, my friend Jenea, who's now my wife, she ended up um, losing her husband um, one random Tuesday from a heart attack. Wow. So me being, you know, one of her best friends, like I said, we've known each other. We grew up six houses down from one another our whole life. Um, so me being one of her best friends, I, of course, was, uh, was there for the funeral. And I looked at her and I said, listen, you know, I'm going to school full time with the GI Bill. I'm studying to become an actor. Any help I can give you, please, you know, lean on me. I mean, anything I can do. Not knowing that it would end up leading to where I am now. Wow, those are the best moments when you, mm-hmm. when you don't expect it and just kind of letting your heart lead and, and watching it unfold. Yeah. The, I think, I think one of the hardest things that I've had to deal with over the last, so we've been married eight years. I've been in their life 10. I've, the one, some of the hardest things I've had to deal with is, um, is overcoming the, um, overcoming the, the, the social narrative of what it means to be a stepdad, because, you know, as growing up in my family and, and I know my wife and her mom, uh, my wife's mom, she's had her share of experiences with stepdads who are abusive or aggressive or drank too much or you, you name it, anything under the sun. So fighting against that narrative right off the bat was one, you know, was a very difficult task for me um, because, you know, I was this 31 year old actor, you know, that was, was in school almost, you know, most, most people my age are out of school and have been working a job for five, six, seven years. Um, so the family, meaning the family of my wife and then her, um, her deceased husband's side of the family looked at me as 
the outsider who couldn't contribute or offer anything to the family. Mm. That was tough. Um, and, uh, and I think, I think the thing that kept me there more than anything is the fact that I didn't have to get to know my wife. I already knew her. Um, I, I, I don't refer to me seeing her after 13 years of being gone as meeting my wife. I, I refer to it as the re-meet. Um, Marissa, you have, you have a friend you haven't seen in maybe two, three years and you see him and after like 15 minutes, you feel like you, you never skipped a beat. Yeah. Those are the best kind of relationships. You just pick up where you left off. Correct. And so that's how our relationship was. I mean, we were, like I, like I said, we knew everything that there was to know about each other past, you know, other than the 13, 14 years apart when we were, you know, living our lives is in our twenties. But, um, but like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I wasn't prepared as a, as a man to find out how, you know, where, where I was going to be tested and how I was going to be tested from being tested from the kids to the, I like to refer to them as the others, meaning the, the in-laws, the, the best friends, the friends of friends, the neighbors, you name them. I wasn't prepared as a man to be scrutinized and, and, and looked upon as, uh, you know, like, almost like waiting for me to make a mistake. And then so everybody could say, see, we told you. Um, and, you know, it really, it, really, it really got to me for, you know, for the first few years. And I think one of the biggest, biggest things that I, I, I could say that when I look back at this, at that is that I'm so grateful and I'm so happy and grateful that I went through that experience um, because it helped me prepare for where I am now and why I consider myself and why I call myself Mercy this professional stepdad because you know for 10 years I haven't spoken about what I've done as a stepdad or the things that I've built within my family but I can tell you right now that when you if you were to look at the outside in you would look at my family and say man they are excited they are happy they are together and they are one and I'm and I'm proud of that that's awesome but it hasn't been an easy road it sounds like <laughs> no no it hasn't you know um Chris, which is, so, so again, like I said, I've got five kids. I've got four girls um, and one boy. And when I came into their life, my son was um, six months old. Uh, he, he'll be 11 this year. So he'll be, he's 10 now. Um, and my oldest daughter was, uh, she was 11, 10, 11. Mm-hmm. So like I said, one of, the, one of the things that I've had to deal with when it comes to overcoming those obstacles within the family was is is the kids the older kids my two oldest girls looking at me as the guy that tried to replace their dad or who is this guy in the house um they weren't accepting they didn't want me there i mean my oldest daughter blankly told me one day when are you leaving Mm, um yeah because you know i mean if they only knew how hard i was trying because at the time we weren't married yet but i had already fallen in love um and 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 i fell in love randomly on a on in, a, on in a way that I can't explain other than when I ended up going to, uh, to see my psychologist about it or my therapist about it, she, we broke it down into the moment where I fell in love and it was awesome. But, um, but yeah, you know, overcoming those, those judgment, judgmental views about who I was. I mean, their father who passed away, he was a successful dentist, had two practices. Um, and then, you know, he passes away, you know, out of the blue. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the things with, with from the family was how, how am I going to, how am I a 31 year old college, somebody that's in college for acting, going to contribute to a family of five kids 
with that when, in coming from no kids, right? Like coming from no background and no children at all because I had zero kids at the time. Um, but man, I can tell you right now that love, I know this is going to sound cliche, Marissa, but love literally is the driving force behind every decision and idea and win and loss that has happened in my life over the last 10 years. It's the pure love that I have for my wife because I can consider her my, I do, I consider her my best friend. Um, and that in itself has helped us move past everybody else, all, all the others, because we're a team. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm, I'm actually yeah. so glad you said that because I really resonate with that as well. In my experience, kind of coming in and being, I, I coined myself bonus mom. because um, I came into my boyfriend and his son's life and I, I really have just kind of embodied the idea that, you know, I'm not going to be perfect. I don't really know you know, what I'm doing all the time, I'm, I'm kind of stepping into this as a, a first time mom. And I've just tried to really tell myself like, okay, if I lead with love, then that's what matters. You know, I might not get it right. But if, if Austin, that's my boyfriend's son, if Austin knows that I love him, then that's what matters, not getting it right or being perfect or being better or any of that, just moving mm -hmm. with love. And it's really helped with conflict. You know, you mentioned, you know, the others and just having conflict, if I'm leading with love, as opposed to trying to show people, you know, what I'm doing or be better than, you know, somebody else, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, man, you said it perfectly. Be better than. Yeah, oh. I think that's like the hardest thing because we inherently, as humans, we want to be better. We want to, it's that like natural drive for competition, even though we mm -hmm. don't intend, it's like we want to be, we want to show that we're okay. You know, you were talking earlier about, um, you know, kind of like having these shoes to fill. And it made me think of imposter syndrome. And we talk about imposter mm -hmm. syndrome in business a lot where, you know, you feel like, oh, I'm a business owner, but you know, I, I don't feel like I'm a business owner because my business isn't successful compared to this person's or, oh, I'm a writer, but you know, I'm not that good of a writer because this person has more followers than me. And so we get mm -hmm. into this like cycle where we don't feel confident in who we are and while you were talking about your experience I was thinking about my own and yeah I mean sometimes I feel imposter syndrome with my own version of motherhood it's like am mm -hmm. I really a mom you know am I really like do I know what I'm doing and it's like no but <laughs> am I really a mom yes <laughs> that is that's is awesome I mean you're you're saying the best things ever and I, I'm so happy that you have your listeners that can hear you say that because um, I think one of the things that's going to make you a strong person um, a strong partner, a strong parenting figure, a strong mother, you name it, is the fact that is your ability to, um, to, to accept who you are and to be okay with your flaws and understand that you're not going to get it right. That's, it just doesn't come, it just doesn't work that way. Um, but to know that your heart is in it and when your heart is in it, you can, you, sometimes you can, those decisions are easier to make along the way. Yeah. You know? true. It takes the pressure out of it, I think. For me, it's like when I'm not worried about comparison or trying to, you know, show I'm doing a good job and I just focus on, okay, how can I love in this moment? It's really changed everything for me. Yeah. I mean, when you say imposter syndrome, for me, it was the fact that, you know, I have, I had to look at my situation and say, you know, I'm comparing my life and where I was at at the time. Um, and then it didn't help that the family members of Chris, you know, his sisters and the and his father and his mother, and everybody else in that that side of the family um, were looking at me like, okay, our son was had two practices, he had 15, 20 employees. You go to Mesa Community College, 
and you're 31 and you're trying to be an actor. I mean, why, what are you doing with your life? Mm -hmm. And I, I held on to that for six years, six, seven years, you know, constantly feeling like I was in the shadow of, of, you know, of this martyr, somebody that, that left this imprint on everybody's life and there was no way I was going to compare to it. And then, and then, um, I, and I don't know if you know this first, but as, as an actor and in, in trying to become an actor, there's certain rules that you have to follow. And I kind of went the opposite of all that. So I ended up at, after working really, really hard for a few years, I ended up being the highest paid commercial actor in all of Arizona. Um, and a turning point for me and that entire family and, and well, for everybody, all the, all the others was when we were at the Super Bowl and we were all over there watching. And again, a place that I was never comfortable going because I always felt like I, the judgmental eyes were on me. And then all of a sudden I come on TV mm -hmm. and everything changed. Literally everything changed. They no longer looked at me as, what are you doing? Now they looked at me as, oh, what are you doing next? Mm -hmm. That's cool. And it, was, it was interesting how it worked. And, and that kind of, you know, that, that transitioned into um, something that I did almost simultaneous. It, simultaneously is, is my second oldest daughter, um, she's very sensitive. She's, she always feels like, you know, like the world's after her. So she's one of the, one of my children in the beginning that was really hard to connect with because she constantly didn't think that I was in the right position to, uh, punish her, you know, and kids can do dumb stuff. You know, this, I mean, yeah. kids do things for attention. Kids do things because they're not being, no, or because nobody's paying attention to them, you name it. But one day, my daughter, Emma, she, uh, she just, she looks at me after an argument. It wasn't even a big argument. She just looks me dead in the eyes with the most serious face. She says, you can't talk to me like that. You're not my real dad. It slams the door and leaves. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it ripped my heart out of my chest because yeah. these kids, they don't see all the work that, that us as step-parents put in behind closed doors and in the waning hours and in the moments where where most people fold and walk away, we stay and fight the good fight. Mm -hmm. um, so I sat down, put pen and paper, and I just started writing a story about our situation. And I, I mean, I made up characters and again, just having fun with it. Um, but I was so inundated by where I was in my life at that time and what she said that I didn't stop writing for three days. And when I was done, I had 115 pages of this very random movie idea um but i did it for one reason one reason only because i understood that okay i can't talk to you like that i'm not your real dad i get that i know i'll never be your real dad but damn it i'm gonna try my hardest to show you that you mean something to me and guess what i'm gonna make a movie about you mm -hmm. and fast forward again a year and a half and we're in los angeles california and we're making the movie and the lead character of this movie her name is emma and I remember turning to her at that moment. I'm like, this will be yours forever. Nobody can ever take this away from you. If anybody is to ever ask you, you know, what do you have a movie made about you? You can literally say yes. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's cool how you can find inspiration at a times where most people find heartache and pain. Yeah. It's so powerful that you were able to take that moment because as you were explaining that moment, it's like, oh God, that's so heartbreaking. I think every bonus parent, every step parent feels that, that like anguish in those words. You're not my real mom. You're not my real dad. Mm -hmm. 
like, and the crazy thing about it is I feel for the most part, when kids say those things, they don't even realize, like they know it's going to hurt, but they don't realize the weight of what they're saying Correct. in the moment. Cause they just want to hurt you because they're just mad about whatever it is they're mad about. Mm-hmm. I think you might've even said this before, you know, that it's like a thankless job. And I think one of the things that I really struggled with in the beginning of my journey was just wanting the affirmation from, from everybody, really from, mm-hmm. from my, from my boyfriend, from his son, from everybody to feel like I was doing a good job. And I think the hardest part of my journey in the beginning was realizing that like, I'm not going to get those affirmations from people. I'm not going to get it all the time. I will get it sometimes, but I can't use those affirmations to define or to, you know, be proud of my identity. And that was really hard because for, for my journey, it was and in some ways similar to yours where it's kind of like everything is just happens at once. Um, for me, it was the decision for us to move in together. And then it was, you know, having a, a son that was mine full time and living in the same house as him. And, you know, what are we eating and what are we doing? And what are mm-hmm. our, what does our after school look like? What does our routine look like? What does school look like? He has um, some learning disabilities. He has dyslexia and um, okay. has just really had a tough go in school. And so that was also something that I took on was we have to get your education right. Like you're not in the right placement. You're not being taught Mm -hmm. the right thing. So that all happened to me at once. And it was just a flurry of like trying to do so much and kind of like trying to figure out who I was and all of that. And so I was looking on the outside for other people to be like, oh, you know, you're doing so great. You're doing all these things. And I would like soak that up when anybody said anything. Um, But I was really hoping to get that from, from Austin too, like him appreciating what I was doing. And you know, I don't think kids will appreciate it until far later. So <laughs> that was like a, a crazy dream for me to realize, like, I'm not going to get those affirmations. So how can I give them to myself and just be at peace knowing that I'm doing a really good job and maybe it will be recognized later or maybe it won't. And that's okay because I know I'm doing this because I love this boy. Right. Okay. So this is, you're going to be excited about this. So my oldest daughter, she's in college now. And she, her college got shut down for, you know, COVID-19. So everybody's home. Everybody's ripping each other's hair out. Um, but it was really cool because um, a few nights ago, we were sitting in the front room and we were all just kind of just hanging out. And um, I was talking to all the kids and I was trying to express like, a, I was trying to tell them like a point about life and about how, you know, where we are in life and how there are people that are complaining about being bored and are complaining about how they have nothing to do and all this stuff. And we are t- taking this more of an opportunity to get to know one another more. We're, we're all being creative. Our job in this house is creativity. That's like the, that's like the main title for everybody in this home right now is if you're not creative today, something's wrong. You, everybody has to be creative doing something. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be TikTok, which FYI, my oldest got me onto TikTok a few days ago and I can't stop it now. Oh, um, it's so much fun. It's so much fun with the kids. But, but my oldest daughter, um, she, I, I stopped speaking thinking that, you know, the kids were kind of listening to me, kind of not. And then she starts speaking and she sounds almost identical to me and how she's explaining it to her sisters and her brother and about how she's, you know, comparing it to life in general. And I remember, I looked over at my wife and my wife has this grin on her face. And at that moment, I realized that all the hours, all the time, all the effort, 
pain, energy, tears, long nights, early mornings that I put in with my oldest daughter to make that connection. Because like I said before, the connection I made with her took longer. I was fighting because her best friend was her dad. Mm -hmm. um, all of that, everything at that moment came together. And I, re and I, in my, in, to myself, I'm like, oh my, oh my God, it worked. It works. There is a payoff. Like everything that I did that I didn't think was going to get to her or going to help her or change her or guide her, she soaked it up and she uses it now. And it was just such a great moment because I wanted to immediately make a, a video for stepdads out there. And I wanted to just say, and, and, and I say stepdads, Marissa, because, you know, I'm trying to be very specific on who I talk to because when I started this journey 10 years ago, um, there was no manual. There's no YouTube show to watch. You can't, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of men that like to talk about this journey for some strange reason. I'm not sure why, but there's just not a lot of men that want to be honest about it because I think it's a lot that has to do with pride. You know, that whole, like, I don't need help raising these kids in my house. I can do it on my own. I don't need your advice type scenario. Mm -hmm. But, um, but man, it, it, I just wanted to make a video at that moment and say, guys, you know, listen, I know it's going to suck for the first few years. You might be in year one or year five or year seven or year eight, but listen, it works. It pays off. Everything comes around. You just have to stay patient. And that's the key, patience. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's so such a beautiful moment. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah, it does. And you say it to yourself, you know, you say to, um, to, to the people that, you, that are looking at your journey, Marissa, and are looking at what you're doing. And whether you get the accolades or not, whether you get the attaboys or not, whether you get the, you're doing a great jobs or not, you need to know that for some reason in your life, for where you are in this current time, you're going through what, what you're going through for a reason because it's going to pay off at the end. And for most, for most step parents, I, you, know, you kind of want to just like grab every one of those step parents that have one foot out the door because let's face it, there's a lot of step parents out there and let's call them the majority. Okay. And I'm going to be honest here. Let's call them the majority. There's a lot of step parents out there that claim to step up and they're, they're going to take on the responsibilities of the parents and the adult. But in reality, in the back of their mind, they have this, I call it the parachute. And this parachute in the back of their mind is I could go if I want to, nothing's really keeping me here. You know, and that one foot out the door syndrome, if I could just reach over to look to every one of those parents that have that one foot out the door that have ever thought about, you know what, I could just take off and nobody will miss me. Yeah, the kids will be here for a few months, but guess what? She'll find somebody else or whatever you name it. If I could just look at them and say, guys, listen, if you can just develop patience and you can understand that everything you're putting, everything you're implementing on a, on a, on a, on a very macro scale, is gonna pay off, even though in the micro, in the moments, it doesn't feel like it. It's gonna pay off and it comes around for you. I promise, I promise you. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned this moment with your daughter the other day and it's, it wasn't even necessarily her recognition, right? She didn't say mm -mm. anything to you. It was just no. her speaking, right? And as, as you were telling that story, I was actually thinking the other day, I, um, Austin had his little friend over and they were building a fort because, you know, quarantine days, <laughs> um, they were building a fort in our closet and, uh, it was, I just, 
happened to turn around to just see what they were up to because it was really quiet and I just saw Austin he had a book out and he was just reading like trying to read like really challenging words aloud to his friend who actually also has dyslexia Mm -hmm. and like it really even like talking about it right now it like almost chokes me up because it's like that was a moment you know no recognition no you know nothing but it was like it hit me so hard because I was like hey this is working like this is working this like you said the hardship and the tears and the frustration and the early mornings and late nights and just wanting to quit and not knowing you know if I'm doing the right thing and of course it's not only me but it was just me experiencing that was like you know what all of this is working and it's just such a cool universe affirmation really Mm -hmm. that's so okay so that feeling that you had I want you to think about like this that feeling that you went that you experienced a lot of step parents a lot of um a lot of of step moms specifically because when it comes to the emotional um draining slash um roller coaster that step parents go through step moms have it way worse than stepdads just they do period because because uh, step moms that step up or real moms in in a very um you know universal way they are, it's just a very natural thing to, for them to not only want to be loved, but to love. It's a very natural, unless of course you were raised by, you know, a mom that just beat the crap out of you every day. But even then you're going to still be looking for ways to get loved. Mm-hmm. But so step moms probably have a little bit worse um, than step dads do. But what, what, what usually happens, and this is what you were saying earlier, you know, you're wanting that the, you're wanting somebody to tell you, you're doing good or you're, you know, we appreciate the work you've put in. And because they are looking there, because they are impatiently waiting for the recognition from the outside, they fail to realize and they fail to be aware of the moments that they could pay attention to. Like I did with my daughter and like you did when, when, when your, when your son was in the, in the, uh, in the closet reading, it's that moment right then and there that you can look at it and say, there it is. Yeah. Nothing needs to be said, there it is. But, mm-hmm. but step-parents have a hard time finding those moments because they're not, like I said, they're not, they're not completely aware. And this all comes down, Marissa, to uh, a method that I've been using over the last 10 years that I've shared with nobody, but that, have wor- that has worked for my family a thousand percent, which is the me, us, them method. And the reason I, I have not shared it with anybody is because I, of course, wanted to make sure it worked. I didn't want to just start telling everybody to, hey, try this when I didn't have any really testing done on it. So I just kept my mouth shut. But me, us, them is something that I've been following. And what I realized right, right away was if I was going to be the very best stepdad, if I was going to be the leader, if I was going to be the emotional um, you know, stability within the home, when, you know, to, whether it's killing a spider or... Hey, I heard a, a knock outside my window at three in the morning. Can you please go look? Type scene. Um, I knew that in order for me to be to get to that type of dad, I first needed to understand me. I needed to understand why I reacted certain ways, why I handled things certain ways. I had a, I had a, a, a huge, huge part of my learning was letting go and forgiving my dad for the way he raised me, and to understand that I can't raise my, I can't react the same way. I can't treat my wife the way my dad treated my mom or any other influence that was in my circle, in my circle growing up. Mm -hmm. So I had to get to know me fully first because if I didn't, 
I would never fully be able to connect with the next part, which is the us. Teamwork, connection with your, your partner. I mean, as step-parents, and you know this, as step-parents, we feel like it's our responsibility and our duty, right, when we get into the family is, okay, how can I make the children love me? <laughs> everybody love me. Pay attention to me, what I'm going to do, because everybody's going to respect me and love me, and you guys are going to look at me and say, oh, my God, where you been all my life? And then reality slaps you in the face because it goes the complete opposite direction. And then what happens is, is we put so much time, energy, and effort into trying to make our stepkids um, feel like they're loved and wanted that we fail to keep the connection with our partner. The reason why we're there in the first place. Remember, we might love the children. I love all five of my kids, but I'm here because I love their mother. And I created a partnership with her that is so unbreakable that we'll go to war with anybody. Before I could turn that focus in, in, and make it into to my kids, I first had to understand, okay, how are we going to do this as a team? And the only way to do that as a team is to, is to seriously take the time with your partner, your wife, your husband, um, and go, okay, listen, I spent the last X amount of time getting to know who I am. Now I want to get to know who we are. And then you go through that process. And I'm telling you, it works because what happens is, is that later on down the road, when are going nuts and pulling each other's hair out and are hating life, mainly because they never had to be in the same house for that long. Nobody really, get, really got to know who they were. They didn't get to know each other at all. So that's what we did, right? We got to know us. And then once we did that and we locked that in, Marissa, getting to know the kids and connecting with them on a very micro level, so in the macro it worked out perfectly, ended up being the easiest step. Mm. When if you look at it from the outside, you can be like, that's, that's definitely gonna be the hardest step. No, it's the easiest step. Now, I applaud you for what you do. I applaud it. I applaud you for you know, taking that time out of your life because you're busy. I mean, everybody's busy. But let me just tell you, don't look for, the, don't look for the, uh, the high fives and the congratulations because they're gonna show up idly on some random Thursday at three in the afternoon one day and it's going to light up your world. But it will pass you by if you're not aware of it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you spoke about your method because it's so, it's so important to start with ourselves first, because I don't know, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm somebody who really likes to try to try to control things and try to do all that I can to make it be perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's like, if I'm, if I'm focusing that energy on myself and doing that self work, then it's less about the things that I'm doing for other people and are they being validated and are you doing as much as I am and all that kind of negative stuff that happens when you're just caught up. Mm-hmm. And if I'm doing that self-work to be like, I'm doing a great job. I'm a great mom. I'm, I've got this. I'm not perfect, but I'm doing great. If I'm working on myself in that way, then everything you write just becomes easier and you can focus that, that outward attention on healing rather than trying to make it perfect. The way you just said that made me think of something that I, I wrote down in a book that I, I, I've journaled my last 10 years. And I went back through it as I was getting ready to um, you know, create some stuff. And, and you said right there, or a second ago, you said, I was trying to be great. And, and I remember the feeling that I had when I had that exact same 
like you know situation happening in my world where I was like I just I need to be the best I need to be great I can't be second I'm not you know what if they're gonna give a stepdad a award up guess who's getting it I'm gonna win the Oscars of stepdad there's nobody that's gonna beat me I'm gonna campaign I'm going to take out ads in the newspaper and when that award comes out everybody's gonna know I'm the best and what ended up happening is, is that I put so much pressure on myself to be great that um that I was starting to take even the littlest things too serious. I was starting to take the littlest mistakes, arguments, you name it. Uh, Marissa, I, I come from a background of extreme alcoholics. And my world from, my, from the age of 19 to the age of 30, I was a complete alcoholic, you know, and I learned that growing up. My wife's mom and her family, all alcoholics, everybody. So I remember this feeling that I had when I was trying to build, I put so much pressure on myself to be the very best stepdad that I started going on a downward spiral within you know, the first couple of years. And I wanted to turn to drinking again because that, I felt like that was my escape. Mm -hmm. um, when in reality, I was just trying to numb, not pain, because I wasn't in pain. I was more frustrated. I was more frustrated because I felt like what I was saying should work. And I wanted the result right there, right then and there, right now. You know, we live in a, in a world where we want everything super quick. I mean, think, look at the, where we are with the COVID-19. I mean, we have drive up testing sites and people still want it faster. Um, but I wanted, the, I wanted the, the results and I wanted the praise so right then and there when I said it that I was, the pressure was just building up to the point where I almost boiled over. And then my wife, you know, very calmly one day, and I'm so happy, like I said, I'm so happy we, we did that whole us scenario in the we, us, them method, because she, she, she understands, not me, she understands what I'm trying to represent, you know, cause she's mom. So she, everybody's going to love mom. <laughs> I'm stepdad. Not everybody's always going to love stepdad. So she's kind of, she can, she could sit. She's like the coach. You know, she, I'm like the quarterback. She's the coach. She, she's, she's been running this game for a while, you know, but she looked at me and she says, you know, you have to stop trying to be perfect. They don't care that you're perfect. They don't want you to be great. They just want you to be there. And I get teary eyed thinking about it still because that's it. I was so focused on trying to be the best dad and to provide the most for my family and to, to implement these routines and schedules and all this stuff that I was failing to do the little things, which is my daughter Afton, who's my youngest, loves to just randomly dance out of nowhere. And she would say, Dad, watch me do this. And I would always beg, babe, in a minute, I'm busy. I got to go in the office. I got to do now. When she says, dad, I made up a hip hop dance, I sit down and I just, I take the two minutes and it's two minutes, which seemed like eternity in the beginning. Now, now in this time that we were in, it's the best feeling. The kids don't want you to be perfect. They just want you to be there. I think that's, that's it. Like you said, that's the core. Mm -hmm. It's just that you're there, that you're showing up and that you're leading with love. That's really, that's really what matters. Yeah, they need to see you make mistakes, Marissa. They do all, 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 mm -hmm. the, all the stepdads and the stepmoms. You know, 
two months ago when I, when I sat down with my business partner and we, you know, he asked me when I was going to start talking about my life. I said, you know, I really don't like call myself a stepdad because here's the thing. If you were to have never known that I was a stepdad, you probably would never know that I'm a stepdad because I don't refer to my kids as my stepchildren, my bonus kids, my others, nothing. Those are my children. And that is a feeling that I, I have in my heart. They are my children because I'm raising them the right way, the honest way, with love and with care. So when I tell people that I oh no, no, but these are my stepkids, people are like, really? You, why don't you say stepkids? Or why don't you say you're a stepdad? And I had a really big problem with that. I had a really big problem accepting that title, stepdad. Because again, the narrative around the word step parent, stepdad or stepmom is in, in our world is not connected to positivity. It's connected to, I mean, honestly, if you think, think about you when you're growing up, stepdad, you heard the word step, oh, that's my stepdad or my stepdad did this or even look, just look on the, look on movies. I mean, I'm a big movie buff. Hell, I'm, I've been in, you know, I, like I said, I've been in the entertainment business for 11 years, 12 years. Every movie that we talk about step parents, it's always, they're always the person that's not the best. So changing that narrative is my mission. Changing that entire narrative for a stepdad is my mission. Not want, I need stepdads to understand that. That, that you, there is a way to move past the way people view you, judge you. And I, it's my job to change that. And it's my mission to change that. I'm gonna change it, period. It's just powerful to see how determined you are to wanna change that narrative and to want to impact your kids and just working as a family with all the different parts of what makes a family it's just really powerful to kind of hear that be spoken and hear it affirmed and you know in my journey and in, i'm sure in, in listeners that are going through similar things where you know there's so much pressure put on step parents bonus parents but if we can find ways to like you said at the very beginning lead with love and just be really open to you know the fact that we're not going to have it right we're not going to have it perfect but if we just mm. keep showing up and we keep doing those little things and really being there then that will that will shape our, our kids lives and it will yeah that's you said it perfectly showing up yeah that's really it, it sounds so complicated but it really is it kind of boils down to that showing you know up. it sounds complicated marissa because we complicate it i mean think about it we complicate it. For most first-time parents, I mean, it's scary. You know that. Yeah. For most first-time parents, it's a, it's a frightening thing. I mean, you talk to any first-time first dad or mom, they're, they are 100% um, you know, in fear. Now, take a step-parent who, has, who, who steps into a situation where not only are they going to fight against the narrative, but now they have to break down walls and barriers, you know, or what was talked about before you ever showed up or the expectations before you ever walked in the door. And I can tell you right now that for every first time step parent, um, every one of us, every one of us, day one of our first day, we're like, it's gonna be too hard. The difference between the ones that make it and the ones that don't is the ones that are able to accept that feeling, use it as power and turn that power into positivity. Absolutely. I think you nailed it there. That's, that's so perfect. I don't know. I, I just hope that whoever's listening can really just hear the, the rawness of your voice and just your determination to really 
shape this narrative. I think the more we have these conversations, the more we are vulnerable about our experiences and really share them openly and and share about the good and the bad. I think that will start to shift that narrative and just really help people understand whatever whatever their experiences that, you know, if people are leading with love and whatever parenting walk they have, then that's what matters.